the card of a man A knight without armor in a savage land His fast gun for hire keeps the calling wind A soldier of fortune is the man called Paladin Knight of silver is his badge of trust. There are campfire legends that the plainsmen speak of the man with the gun, of the man called. and shalom. Howdy everyone out there in dreamland. This is Rumors of Instinct coming at you again from sunny Corpus Christi. The way it should be. The way it normally is. As there's no should be. See, that's what I'm going to be addressing today on this North, East, West, South news program of mine is people's conceived notions of normalcy and how this produces into people a philosophy of disaster, disasterism, I don't know, doomsaying, sky is falling type thing. And it's a creation of the matrix, it really is. It's a creation of the uh, controlling powers that we all have to battle every day that we know as the satanic forces. Not, see, I don't even want to call them satanic forces because Satan has its own, uh, you know, importance in demonology, angelology, things like that. What I do want to distress that, though, is that that's the world. This is of the world, right? Because we're, we aren't dealing with living inside Satan. We're living inside a world, a material plane, a matrix, if you will. a uh, Somewhere between time and space, a twilight zone, right? It's a twilight zone. Before people started calling it the matrix, it was called the twilight zone by Rod Serling. And it absolutely is the case. This bizarre and paranormal um, environment where man's sanity is the prize and the game is life, right? And it's basically a battle between man's ability to perceive the system and the limitations of what we know as reality and then the transgressions which occur therein and the ability to keep our faith in something 
something righteous, something true, because all truth is righteous. But in what we know is the truth, that becomes the real essence of this philosophical game of life, the test of what makes life lived, you know, and I know it's silly, because life can mean something different for every single person, but uh, for me, and I think it's going back into the vision of what many people have always thought is, at the end of your life, when you die and you are facing judgment, when you are facing uh, the cosmic film of your life, watching your life flash be back before your eyes, and uh, being judged, you know, as the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Holy uh, Bible, the Torah, the Quran, um, every single major religious book and, and teacher has kind of spoken about regardless of the philosophical intent of their followers or their emotional attachment to their followers, uh, of their followers, uh, and the examples they give on this world and this life. Um, the philosophies, though, are not atheistic. The philosophies all have a background of requiring a belief in the afterlife, or requiring a belief in the great beyond, or requiring a belief in the metaphysical, or requiring a belief in the supernatural. And I know people can say, well, I'm modernized, a religious person, and I don't believe in hocus-pocus, or the supernatural, and that's all superstition, and mixed with folklore, and indigenous uh, super, you know, superstitions and, and mythology and things. Now, For example, a lot of Catholics uh, don't believe in modern-day miracles and things like that. A lot, a lot of uh, Protestants will argue that that book was closed, that age is closed, and never again will there be uh, visitations from the cosmic order or forces or angels or demons. It's like basically where you're living now in the, the boring, mundane sandbox of reality. Now... The real-world examples of that, because this isn't going to be a news show, your typical news show, where uh, I'm always trying to bring you the latest and greatest events or any kind of thing like that. I, I speak from what I think is uh, the best examples. I guess, exactly, what, what are headlines? What are that? Headlines would be the biggest stories, and what is a, what's the size of a story? The size of a story is the importance of events globally, right, like, you know, internationally, um, although headlines can be specific to certain situations, like you can have a headline in your own life, you know, the, the events in your own life are more important than the events in town hall in your city and the events in your state capital or technically bigger than your local news story, but if your mayor was a, you know, werewolf, that headline is more important to you than, say, for example, what's going on in the UN right now, you know, and so it's all about perspective. Right? And that's why I said that I want to keep this point or perspective. What the mainstream news is stealing from everyone and profiting from is the corporatization of news and what an international corporation or a national corporation feels is important is not the localized, specialized, centralized, you know, honest, in, you know, uh, they want to give you the, the vanilla, they want to give you the watered down, they want to give you the lowest common denominator. Same thing with understanding how uh, the world functions. They want to water it down so much that babies can digest it because they're trying to indoctrinate people in their cribs and they don't want them to progress very further than that. Um, the same way that 
when you actually think about it, people are much more honest and in involved with the education of children, but no one is involved with the education of adults in our society. Very rarely do you see outside of college and these these kind of rarefied elite institutions the importance on adult education ever emphasized outside of technical or industrial capacities. Um, when I was a salesman, the administrative re-education indoctrination programs every day, every week, going to these meetings and learning um, what they called sound doctrine, which was the sales advice, the sales techniques, the technology used, the policies that we were uh, playing by, corporate culture, things like that. That was, uh, <laughs> I guess you call it, much more invested in and important in these people's lives than, say, religion or faith or spirituality or science or mathematics. You know, they wanted you to learn how to use the iPad that they gave you to look up people's, you know, annual incomes. They didn't want you to learn how sine waves and cosines functioned in the physical world, like you know, their analogs and stuff. They didn't want you to learn, like, relative physics because that wasn't important. They weren't going to make money educating you. They were going to make money making you a better worker for them. You know, they were going to make you smarter in that capacity, not smarter in a real honest capacity. Even when they say, like, tuition reimbursement and things like that. Like, oh, Starbucks will pay for your education. They'll only pay for your education if you're going into a franchise-type uh, role or a business administration or accountant-type role. Yeah, they'll pay for that if they are going to eventually keep working for them or working for the system in some larger capacity, you know, and giving them respect for that. Like, uh, yeah, you may not work for Starbucks, but you could go work for, you know, a relative distributor or third party doing the same thing in the industry, which helps facilitate the industry which they operate in, thus, you know, it's like the petrochemical companies, if you go work to refineries and they, they're helping you pay for your scholarships with the, with the expectation that you go into that field, regardless if you work for them or not, you'll be, you know, a better educated petroleum industry worker, thus facilitating, you know, uh, greater cultural impact, community impact within that company to the employees and members in that field, in that world, in that in that lifestyle, you know? Like, oh, I got my education from BP. I may not work for BP, but at least, you know, I may, I may be like a corporate lawyer, you know, working for a firm, but whenever that name comes up, I will have a positive, you know, impression of it, and the reputation is good, you know, and improved, and so they benefit down the line, you know, they, they profit down the line. Everything is, is uh, you know, money at this point. You follow the money, time is money, right? And so, you know, capital, people are capital, even in the higher, more skilled industries. Now, where I'm going with that is that um, the news, same thing. They want their citizenry to agree with them generationally. Right? They're fitting the, they're molding the minds, they're shaping the hearts of generations of people, future people. Right? They want parents to teach their children in a one way. They want those children to then teach their children that way. And they can tell you uh, one thing because in 30 years they're hoping for a payoff or they're hoping that you begin to understand the world as they do. In the world that I've seen them try to build up, which is completely false, is a world of unrelated uh, disasters like this, this string of disasters to the point that this ice storm that occurred in Texas, which had loss of life, which saw millions of people 
you know, um, be affected negatively to an extreme case. And the reason why I think people downplay it is because out of 50 states, 50 regional territories uh, in the United States, Texas was experiencing what, for example, Illinois experiences or Wisconsin experiences uh, daily, right? Our failure to handle it kind of gets made into a punchline. It gets made into a joke, which it's not a joke if you were in Texas, for example, and, uh, you know, your child died because of hypothermia, because you were so trusting of a system, the same system that was propagated by the mainstream media, the same system you were educated by, that you were raised by. See, this didn't really negatively affect me very much, you know, or my immediate family. Now, you could say that's, you know, you're, I'm, I'm extremely lucky by it, from it, and yes, I am, because one, I lived further south that when it did reach 19 degrees, it reached 5 degrees in Dallas, you know, I'm saying, like, at least I had that 17 or 14 degree uh, difference, right, that grace, that little margin, you know, and it warmed up rather quickly, and, you know, I have my survival skills, and, you know, I'm not in the, the vulnerable range, but the situation wasn't the temperature, the situation was the power outage, was the blackout was the failed infrastructure of our state, was the closure of roads, was the closure of stores, was the closure of shelters, the failure and uh, slow acting, for example, to put vulnerable elderly people or sick people who require things like dialysis machines and rebreathers into shelters that had generators or hospitals, uh, which were closed for COVID-type related issues, were not opened up to create shelters like they were in Hurricane Harvey. The issue was the power outage. Not the not the not the freezing storm, not the blackout, not the or not 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 the the winter storm. It wasn't the polar storm. It wasn't the temperatures. That is not why I'm hoping people focus on this incident because this incident is extremely important. Moving forward into the future, now the news will not profit from this story, so they will not share it. They will not help spread it. They'll try to say, "Oh, it, what a what a crazy natural disaster." Now. We, we wish you guys the best, and, um, you know, isn't, isn't, isn't the world so perilous and disastrous that you have to keep watching the mainstream media so that we can tell you everything going wrong? They don't want to tell you that this was completely due to human error and due to bureaucratic uh, incompetence and due to um, a failing and neglected infrastructure in a state that unlike other states, has a very solid case for being considered one of the most successful. Now, I know a lot of states are, are racked with debt and with hardship, mass unemployment and things, so their infrastructure failing is a symptom of a type of economic, uh, you know, uh, passing or, or passing of their prime. But Texas has a, an economy larger than most countries, right? And this is because we're adopting, in a lot of ways, I'm not trying to politicize it at all. I know the many people can only think in terms like that. Many people can think because of the mainstream media in terms of elected officials or institutionalized systems of government and things like that. 
I know many people can only now see left and right diagrams or, or um, uh, dyads or they can only see the Hegelian dialectic of like liberal versus conservative. They can only see these things. The point is, <clears throat> the real story that they're not going to tell you and I'm hoping to bring forward when I, can, when I finally get the words for it when I express it, simply put, is we as a society, we as modern people, have become so reliant to a grid that is so insecure, it's rusting, it's neglected, and its own management is extremely difficult and laborious and a uh, bullshit type uh, task, right? That we have to create big government type institutions called the utilities. This has been the way for the last hundred years. So generationally, we should have solved this problem way before I was even alive, right before I was even born. I was born in 1987. This should have been a situation that was dealt with in the 50s to create uh, a power grid for our state that had no chance of failure, that was redundant, that was foolproof, that was insured and secured, hardened from everything from A-bombs to fucking uh, blizzards to heat waves to, to, you know, hell freezing over itself. This should, been, this should have been the priority of all civilized states in the West, is to create a system of infrastructure and logistics for emergency purposes that was foolproof. That was foolproof. There is no excuse in the 21st century for the power of a first world nation the infrastructure of a first world nation to be brought to its knees due to human error due to bureaucratic mismanagement and due to the absolute uh, charade of expertise when it comes to creating things like statewide power grids Do you understand, like, the, the complaint at that point isn't that, it, oh, we got cold. It gets cold. This isn't the first time. The Oso Bay has completely frozen before, in historical record, within the last hundred years. Cold fronts are to be expected. Now, now, sure, yes, it's been a particularly very warm winter. This caught us basically uh, completely off guard as a state. I was one of those people who underestimated and I thought it was going to get 30 degrees and rain but then it might snow flurry and sleet we've all been there and then move on the power was out for three days not because the weather was so extreme yes it was cold but it was not so extreme for example that it would have knocked out Chicago's power grid or Sweden's power grid or you know London's power grid or um, I don't know Beijing's power grid Tokyo can experience a few blizzards and still keep trucking. I don't see why Texas had to rely on a unproven, experimental, uh, hybrid system of attempting like a green deal. And it's not the infrastructure itself. We should have already had a backup. So yes, you have this new front uh, green deal, sustainable wind energy prototype, carbon footprint carbon credit bullshit, I guess we're getting with the 21st century. Yes, Texas is part of the New World Order, just like everyone else. Yes, Texas is kind of fucking itself like everyone else with this new climate change bullshit, which is like trying to put uh, 
imaginary uh, pressures on industrial type facilities like the like power grids and stuff like that, like power stations, on on how much they pollute, sacrificing human um, living conditions for uh, political ideals and goals and quotas. I get it, right? Welcome to socialism. It's all about government quotas, uh, unreachable government quotas that 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 end up. Uh, neglecting the everyday person who the system a government is meant to uh, protect and provide for in, in for the sake of the state itself and its own goals and its own propaganda right this was a politicized I de- I decision by the leaders of ERCOT which is the emergency uh, readiness commission uh, or the electrical uh, regulatory commission of Texas sorry the Electrical Regulatory Commission of Texas, ERCOT. And the way the nation is set up, there are three, three main power grids. East Coast to uh, the Mississippi River, West Coast basically to the Mississippi River, and Texas. And I know that sounds strange, but geographically that's basically how the country's shaped. It's, it's how we see it as East Coast to the West, to the Mississippi, that divides where St. Louis is, the West, and the West goes all the way to the uh, west coast, Pacific coast, uh, you know, and all of that's basically one culture. All of that's one culture. East coast down the Mississippi, all one culture. Texas, its own unique republic. That's what I was saying. Other states don't have the the, the credentials we do. You could be in 49, or wait, 47, sorry, because Alaska and Hawaii are their own independent things, too. When you think of Texas, think about Alaska or Hawaii. How can Hawaii's power go out? All of it. How can Alaska's power go out? We're not connected to overloads requiring of different states. 25 million people for its own specific grid. Texas is also extremely populous, and it's huge, right? So this is, this is not something where these systems should be reliant on each other. They should be independent outposts that help and support each other. Not that you have to shut the power off in South Texas to keep the heat on in North Texas. And then do rolling blackouts across the state simply to meet your politicized quotas on um, you know, power usage so that you can get your, your beak wet, basically through the slush funds of federal um, donations, funding, and bonds, for example, project bonds. Um, this is all exactly from the top down. The culture of human negligence and error and um, basically consequenceless lawmaking and, and, and governance, consequenceless governance, right? And the way mainstream media has trained people to think is that this is an issue of right and left, of conservatives and liberals, of elected politicians and new elected politicians coming in. This is actually something much more powerful than that. The message that our infrastructure itself has been designed to fail. Our emergency response teams have been designed to fail. We have neglected domestic logistics to an insane degree. Texas doesn't really suffer from the uh, rust belt effect that, for example, a lot of your old uh, mill towns have. Most of our towns have a lot of money being thrown into them, put into them. Now, domestically, for things like road projects, bridge projects, things like that. For example, they're building a 
I think it's like two billion at this point because they already they were talking about not paying someone two hundred million dollars for their contract work. So it has to be around two billion right now. Uh, replacement bridge for the current Harbor Bridge and the Oso Bay. We lost power here. Not not necessarily we had to. It was a non-technical issue. It was completely bureaucracy management. We lost power here and the stores closed and then we had a water boil. Seven million people in a water boil. So we didn't have uh, safe drinking drinkable water and mostly because of the power. And the whole city was offline. right? The whole city, street lights, everything. Offline. The system, the system was down. We were in complete basically uh, Wild West conditions, caveman conditions, right? Uh, for three days, for three whole days. Now, I know I see the occult significance. I see the bigger picture. I see that this was a test, uh, you know, all from the Matrix, all from God, uh, you know, all from the world and these higher power things. I also know that it's seasonal. This is how people should survive. I also know that people have to learn how to survive the way we always have. We, we were never able to dodge cold fronts. We had to live by the fire and wear our furs and keep our jackets handy and stuff. You know, all that good stuff. We have to um, survive. We have to be strong. We can't rely on the states to, to keep us alive. I get that. But it's inexcusable that in the 21st century, in 2020, that we had to live like we had to in 1920 or 1820 or 1720 sorry 21 what's that all about huh? exactly see that's the post-traumatic stress thing you always in one day so yeah in 2021 um that we have to live like in 1921 or in 1821 or in 1721 or in 1621 that humanity's baseline existence has not been improved by the very world that we think is governing us or are the authority over us or the one that is the, the key holder to modern living, modern living conditions. You might say all this is a society's sacrifice for the ability to go to the store safely and pick up meat in a well hygienic and, and like you know lighted and air conditioned environment and not and mitigate the struggle and strife that nature would render upon us because nature is cruel and you know to get out of this cycle of, of destruction and, uh, and and hardship that nature has allotted for us we would make the sacrifice to, to give the authority over our lives to big tech to uh, big utility to big government, not just modern day Silicon Valley shit, but like, you know, when they were putting the railroads in or they were putting up fences and people were like, okay, well, we got to sacrifice a little bit of our freedom to get a little bit of security and to get a little bit of this modernity, you know, like we want the telegraph wires in so we kind of have to kind of play the game, you know, because we want to be able to get the mail, we have to accept the federal government because they own the post office type thing. Like if you were all writing those letters is nice. The Wells Fargo wagon is nice, you know, type thing. The fact that I made coffee from burning uh, old 2 by 4s from a fence and I saw men at the park collecting firewoods, working together, it wasn't anarchy, it wasn't, you know, survival. I don't ever think that's going to exist. I never think that man is going to turn, uh, you know, Mad Max overnight. We're going to, we had to 
you saw examples of humanity that you had previously kind of forgot exists, like the ability to to care for each other, to deliver blankets, to uh, you know hope your neighbor's doing all right, things like that, like you know to provide, um, you know as good people do, as communities do, as neighbors do. It was it was enlightening. It was it was awe inspiring. You know it was kind of one of those things where I was sitting there at the park. Um, using the internet that I was able to provide from from the university, which has its own power grid, surprisingly. The university's power never went out, for example. That's what I'm saying. This was all because of human error and the sacrificing of the citizenry because the technology exists that the power need, does not need to go out. We have our ability to have our own power stations, our own power generators, our own water towers, our own water processing plants, and we could have played this game hundreds of different ways. We've allowed ourselves, though, to be managed by bureaucracies. The technology in 2021 should have never allowed for the necessity of the situation, and it didn't. It still hasn't. The power was just literally turned back on by a flip of a switch. The machine was turned off, they turned the power generators back on, the power was returned to the city. It was because of bureaucracy and management, and it was only because of an order of, from the governor. So he saw the national crisis that was the form of the national debt. They were willing to create a natural disaster that was going to stretch into the weeks, into the months. Obviously, this would have been absurd when the weather became 70 degrees and sunny like it is now. It's actually kind of hot. Uh, you know, and I, I've been uh, working outside and sweating and things like that and kind of return to normalcy because they said after seven days, seven days ago, I was without power or any uh, functioning electrical uh, devices, no internet, nothing like that. I was making coffee on an open fire. I was, um, you know, making soup that way too. Basically the day just evolved around fire and then, um, scavenged inside the city for electricity like uh, any place that was open and I realized the extent of it so I did some sightseeing there uh, went down to the bayfront, took some photos with the last power of my phone, went to the university that's when I discovered the university's lights were on because I could see the lights and it's strange when they're the only light shining how far they show actually I only live a mile away from it so I was able to see the, the lights from the soccer field turn on automatically because it was super overcast and it was shady. And that during the day, in situations like that, the lights will turn on, like you've ever seen street lights during the day on, because they can't they can't distinguish between night and day at that point. Um, and, and that's when I saw the lights were on, I was like, holy shit, the university still got power, went over there, charged my phone, and was able to have at least a little bit of creature comfort that way. But while I was charging my phone at the university, there's a park that there's a kind of this wildlife <clears throat> preservation because it's near the coast. It's, it's on the coast, you know, it's not near the coast, it's on the coast. And it's this wildlife park. And I was seeing uh, men, either from the same family or friends, uh, collecting firewood, loading it into the backs of little coops. And I realized at that point, see, this is, this is what the news won't show you, is that mankind survives not for the the sake of government, but governments, and government doesn't work for the sake of mankind. These are two independent, separate things that should never be talked about together in the same breath because they are not functionally the same things. Humanity 
and the condition of life and the security of life and in philosophies and in spiritual development and is one thing. It's independent. Those are inalienable things given to you by God, your ethics, your heart, your decisions, your morals. Then there is the state. And the state may own the technology like the king owned all the land, right? The state may own all the people the way the king owned all the people. And the king threw people in dungeons. It's not because people were evil. It's because that king's state was failing, was evil. Now, we're not going to be speaking about the idea of imprisonment or laws here, but the idea of the there was a famine in the king's land, in the kingdom, if there's a famine, because the king decided to act against the people's best interests. That is not a demark on the people or the culture that produced, I mean, the demark, the, the, the mark of shame, the mistake, was in this culture producing this state and being okay with it, being compliant with it, being acquiescent to it. But the people themselves are not that. And that's what you have to see, is this cosmopolitan viewpoint, that people are not the governments, the governments are not their people. Technology exists for the benefit of the people, but it's not being used currently for the benefit of the people. It's being used for the benefit of the government. Technology is now so far out of the hands of the two people that we have to rely on our God-given natural abilities to survive, even in 2021. The same way that we had to in 1921. If I was having this conversation in 1921, and I was like, the state owning things like dams and power plants and things like that, like the phone lines, that's going to produce so many disasters. Where the phone goes out, and people would be like, oh, you're just an anarchist or something. This is 2021. Same thing. What if all the internet, which is now controlled in the hands of corporations and the government, would go out? Then you're like, that's one thing. But in the power going out is another Especially when they're all online. When everyone is, is hoping for a further modernization, it becomes even easier to destabilize this grid. This grid isn't built for uh, being a hardened, reliable, foolproof guarantee. This, this grid is built in all its aspects. Hospitals, uh, power, all that. It's built specifically to fail. It's built to cause panic. It's built to cause destruction. Because as the further people rely on it, the easier it is to pull the rug out from under them and the, least, the less options they have to rely on. Because when you take everything from them, they have nothing left. Like I said, if you were hooked up to a dialysis machine that was electrical and needed to be ran, unless you had a privately owned generator, which, you know... That was like really the only option that you think about because exactly, that's different. That's business. That's that's like the ability to provide for yourself. That's exactly, unless you had that, then you would need the state to again rescue you. And in the state's facilities, though, we're not operating that way. You 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 got to hope for all the king's men, all the king's horses to come put you back together again, and that's simply not going to happen. Because they're phasing out that kind of humanity. They're phasing that part out of the state, where the state is only authority. The state is only those that profit from it. Um, the same way that if, for example, someone made your order wrong, the CEOs of McDonald's are not going to fix that order. They can give you some kind of credit involving transactions with them, but they are not, for example, people who cook fries. They don't make burgers. 
it's the, the, the people who do the power management, the bureaucracy of it, the, the guy in front of the big board and the computer, he doesn't do high-line power. He doesn't, um, you know, he doesn't know a thing about that. He might know technically about it from his education and things like that, but he's a businessman. He's a politician. He's a uh, big thinker like that, you know, organizer, manager of, of things, te- technologies and stuff. He, he understands like uh, trade journals and uh, industry leaders and things like that. He understands precedent that way, but he can't, for example, him and his other crony buddies get in a power truck and then come down and start working on a power generator with his electrical tools. That's just not exactly, you understand, like, that's not how it's going to happen. Same thing with the park rangers and everything the big government owns, the federal government owns, is owned by politicians first at the very top, and then it works its way down to the actual professionals and the people on the ground. The actual people on the ground. Same way with the military. People who are in the top brass positions or in research and development or in, uh, you know, the high engineers and the black projects and stuff, they, they can't do the things which they are making, ex- making available for people to do. It's not, they're not compliant. They're independent and separate things. And people need to realize that. That the, the government and the authorities and the leaders, the cultural influencers who are telling you one thing are not the thing you should be listening to. Because the thing you are is so separate and different from them. And there's so much dif- distance between the two. Um, it's the same way as uh, modern day churches for example where your leadership and your ministry are not of the common people or the flock they're not of your tribe they don't have your same situations and your woes for example the generator issue it, the, these people are so wealthy that they can afford to fly and on jets away from the disaster area they have the ability to purchase these generators. They're, they don't have the suffering that, it, that follows their decisions as millions of people do because they have profited so handsomely from your willingness to submit to them on the promise that you would not suffer under their rule. And when their decisions come to make you suffer, they don't suffer because of it. You do. You're sacrificed for it. These people are not good shepherds. They're not good masters. And it's as simple as that. Now, that's my take on the whole um, ERCOT fiasco, the whole emergency readiness, and this disaster in itself, is that this disaster was a man-made disaster. It's not, the, it's not the freeze that happened. It's not the polar vortex that happened, which I predicted already in uh, October 20th, 22nd, actually. I predicted that the winter to come was going to be one of the most severe after the super called era was a, a thermohydrogen bomb was detonated in um, one of the lava tubes, one of the sides that super over in Yellowstone, and it knocked the lava inward into the earth, into the aquifer, the Agualala aquifer, which... Uh, most of the Midwest actually rests on and floats on. It's this giant cavernous underwater sea. Now, um, because the lava was going down, we didn't actually see any kind of steam or smoke come out unless 
you count the massive seismic scale uh, disturbances that were going on around national parks around that time, Yellowstone especially. And that was the hydrogen bomb both blowing up and being registered and then the lava flows and the detonations that occurred afterwards, you know, the string of aftershocks. Um, that would produce the winter storms because they would change the magnetosphere, basically. It would affect the whole uh, position of what we would consider the North Pole. And at first it kind of went away from us and then slammed right back into position, right, causing these, these polar waves. That's not the issue. Right, predicted that in October. That's not the issue. The issue was these man-made failures of a statecraft, which is not created to indefinitely stop disasters, but to constantly promote disasters yearly and seasonally to create the dialogue of such a, I guess we call it a disaster-prone and a series of unrelated climate change uh, promoting disasters that they're trying to promote trying to promote this idea that the world is ending the sky is falling every single day they don't want to focus on the stories of actual survival or the stories that ultimately mankind is still at this baseline of uh, of a real power a real empowerment is that we had to live like it was 1920 we had to live like it was 1820 we were able to do that with the skills that we are never going to forget. But the promise of this futurism, and I know people don't think Texas with technology, but Texas is one of the most high-tech, innovative, and, um, you know, um, um, you know, historically um, promoting, um, historically supportive, of technologies from the from the Kennedy Space Center in Houston, Houston being the fourth largest city in the U.S. and what it attracts there from the international, internationally renowned. It also, for example, has a lot of federal government influence. You know, like uh, basically, it's like a second Silicon Valley in many ways. Dallas, for example, is is a hub, uh, a nexus point of software and digital entertainment, video games especially. So this is not a low-tech society. This is a society that embraces technology, that encourages technological development, that uh, you know successfully does so, and we court international, um, you know, respect from India, from the Middle East, our our petro oil industry, our energy industry, natural gas, um, you know, far from just hardware, software type things. These are real driving economic engines globally like agriculture uh, you know hydroculture um, everything basically everything right that mankind needs comes in, in some shape or form from Texas uh, even things like helium and the international helium trade uh, the, in the federal helium reserve these, these industries are so powerful that they're considered national security issues right and and you know, we're not on the outskirts or outskirts are the boondocks in any kind of way. Yes, many parts of Texas suffer from kind of providentialism, which is this very small town uh, mindset. But at the same time, it's ironic more than it is accurate. It's ironic that Texans still get and, and do so still believe that they are kind of 
far away from the real world, far away from the New World Order system, and we only identify with ourselves, but at the same time, it's, it's very much the same way that how it, Italy and Italians still try to keep their own cultural identity, even though they are like a national and international, uh, you know, uh, kind of like a tourist destination, and they're, you know, they're internationally known, and renowned, and they're respected, and by the same time, it's, it's very much like, uh, they don't really see it, you know, domestically, they don't really see it, domestically, they don't really factor it in, right, how influential on the world, on the world, uh, playing field they really are, and so, yeah, this is unacceptable, this is absolutely unacceptable, but we should, it, no one should be resting after this, and I'm not saying, um, Doomsday is, is around the corner, but I am saying that New York City, uh, L.A., Chicago, New Orleans, every major uh, city in America, every major region in America, every major um, state in America is equally at risk from the dangers of poor management. From the, not the dangers of lacking technology, but the dangers of the failure to at to properly use this technology, to properly use this infrastructure, the neglect of existing infrastructure to the point that it becomes and is rendered useless, and the neglect of communities' education, adults' education, and adults' career empowerment to the point that companies who do operate in these things like uh, AEP right? uh, AEPs are electrical uh, power that they if they don't want to admit it or not even they are one of the good guys they're one of the better companies still operate with as minimal investment put into their labor force as possible because in their you know uh, business model every cent that they can get away with not spending is a sense unspent, right? They don't want to pay for people to become, you know, any more of an expert than what is going to maximize the profit of the company. They don't want people to become too good at their jobs. They don't want too many people to be working for them because they have a model, they have an algorithm, they have this huge type of calculation uh, accounting system. That's this modern culture. That's not a culture that serves the people. It's not a culture that creates absolute security. It's a culture that promotes absolute profitability. And they don't care if it takes one or two extra days for everyone to get their shit figured out. Because like I said, they've already profited handsomely enough to provide for themselves. The CEOs of AEP have generators. The workers of AEP are, are already well-paid enough to provide for themselves and their families. And, and I'm not saying anything bad about the AEP worker because they do go out, they do work, and you know they they, they the ones who kept the power on. But to their credit, they even said this is not a technical issue. Don't blame us. Don't blame our workers. Don't go out there and ask them any questions because we honestly don't know. Like, AEP has the company. It's a one company out of many, many companies. All right? Every county has basically its own, it, its own like little regional companies and stuff. But on their website, they were refreshing their power outage map, and it said underneath it in subtitles that, no, this is not a technical issue. This is all from ERCOT. This is all bureaucratic decisions, administrative decisions to enforce rolling blackouts and everything. AEP had its hands tied. But even AEP, 
didn't defy the order. AEP should have defied the order. AEP doesn't, but needs to regulate itself, like all these systems need to regulate itself, in submission, adherence to this higher authority, this higher authority of bureaucracy controlled by the federal government, ultimately controlled by the federal government, ultimately controlled by the foreign occupying power of the federal government. So that things, that's what I was saying, exactly what I said, the local technologies that were available were sufficient. The local professionals were sufficient. The local expertise was sufficient. The local power generators were sufficient to maintain a level of living condition, consumer it to our willingness to support them through our bills, through our uh, taxpayer dollars, through our you know, just promotion of them and acceptance of them as our, you know, go-to electrical authorities. That was sufficient. AEP was sufficient. AEP could have kept Corpus Christi's power on the entire time. It would not have been anything but a freakishly cold, you know, abnormally low record cold, uh, you know, front, a, a polar storm. And we would have just been able to use the internet, watch TV, use our heaters, cook food in our stove, take a shower, things like that, wash our laundry, but for three entire days and nights, our power was off. Now, this is because, not because AEP, I'm not blaming these local people. I'm blaming the federal government for their decision, but because AEP was submissive to this decision, was complicit in this decision, they were accomplices in this decision. And even though, to their credit, they were the ones protesting very loudly and bringing these points up, like, hey, this is not us, this is they were showing absolute transparency in the issue. The fact that they are part of the system does not remove their guilt from it at all. The fact that the CEOs of AEP had generators, the CEOs have summer homes in Mexico and things like that too, just like uh, uh, our senators and stuff like that. Like all leaders do, all elites do. Their workers had generators. They were they were able to use their heaters inside. And you might say, well, this is just it, you know everyone's has to provide for themselves. If that's the case, if you say, well, everyone at the lowest level has to provide for their own warmth, for their own heat, they have to go to the park and collect firewood. They have to talk to their neighbor and, and make sure that they're not freezing to death, etc. If that was the case, why couldn't AEP just keep our power on and act as itself a little guy responsible for its own community? It's because this is the doublespeak they want you to just kind of start confusing yourself on. This is the bullshit they want you to confuse yourself on. That they want you to think there is only one argument, there is only one dialogue, and that is the federal level, that is the highest level dialogue, the top level dialogue. Now remember, the pyramid system that they use, right, their little pyramid system or whatever you want to say it, like boom, 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 top down, federal government down, it doesn't reach a peak, it doesn't reach a point, it columns straight up, right, columns straight up. This is the real system. This is the real well, they, they want you to think it has a pink. They want you to think they're the top. They are not the top. They want you to change your the, the real discussion from what is most high, what is most top of the pyramid in this reality. And they want you to think they're the end cap of this pyramid. Now there's a reason on the dollar bill, for example, that there is an eye on the back of the pyramid, no end cap. The end cap floats above. It's because the end cap has not been laid yet. And the highest level, even in this metaphor, this pyramid metaphor, is this 
all-seeing eye is this God force, is this intelligence in the universe that has bestowed upon us, has created us, and given us all its abilities. That argument has never changed. Like I said, why are we in 2021 inescapably confronted with the reality of people in 1921 during their blizzards, or in 1821 during their blizzards, or in 1721 during their blizzards? It's because the same God that ruled every year before this one, and will rule every year after this one, regardless of what we want to name it or calculate it as, the year of our Lord, that that Lord has not changed, that authority has not changed, that argument still has not changed, that the powers of man have still not changed, the world still has not changed. As much as we think modernity is a real thing, as progress is a real thing, as technology is allowing us to exist as a real thing, these moments, these events, all within the heart of God, all within the prophecies of God, this is all because God has wanting us to see that no one can be called authority over God. Just the way that no one can be called authority over you, over yourself. The system of slavery is the system of the state. And the system of the state is to reinforce your own vulnerability and weakness. So they've created systems which they want you to submit to, which are designed to fail you. Which are designed to hurt you. They abuse you and then say, well, if you want any kind of betterment or you have, to, you have to work with us, you have to live you know, in our world. You have to engage in the culture that we have created. Regardless of the fact that you will always have to resort to the undeniable reality that is mankind and this world have not changed since the first days. That the debates have not changed since the first days. That the cold is still as cold as it's always been. That the heat is still as hot as it's always been. That the sun is still as bright as it's always been. That the sky is so as blue as it's always been. The ground is as hard as it's always been. That men have the same skin that we've always had, the same hair that we've always had, the same eyes that we've always had, the same voice that we've always had. They want you to think, though, that every year is going to be a little bit different, and they're the ones going to be making the change. They're the ones going to be providing that difference. They're the ones going to be holding the keys to the gates of the promised land through this technology, this promise of the grid, right? The grid, the prison system, the matrix system that, they're, that they are trying to say that they own, that they've created. But what you always see fails due to human involvement, due to human error. Because they want you to get the debate that there is only disaster, there is only man, there is only the federal authority, the higher authority is the federal government, or these politicians, right, with their culture that they have invented. And that this invention is itself new. That this invention is the, is the pinnacle of progress, is the indicap on the pyramid of reality, of all time and space, incarnated in the idea of a pyramid, that they are the actual end cap of it, regardless of even in the fact that their own money, their own currency, that they worship as their God, has in God we trust, has that eyeball on the end cap pyramid, that all-seeing, all-knowing intelligence, which cannot be escaped or denied or defied. That is in their most holy of parchments, the single U.S. dollar bill. In 
that is why they're trying to phase out of money. They're trying to get rid of money in favor of Bitcoin. Because in Bitcoin, it does not say in God we trust, and it has no adherence to any kind of occult mysticism which they cannot actually deny. So once everyone goes virtual currency, no one will have even the most basic root of the occult truth in education, unless they, for example, go to a museum. But then again, nothing will ever be hidden, because nothing can be hidden, because mankind cannot change anything at all, either impermanently or permanently. And all mankind's actions are but dust, are but mistakes, and are but disasters. And remember, they want you to think that there's a state of normalcy which they provide. And anything that goes wrong, when they fail, we all fail, which is not the case. When they fail, we simply pick up the pieces, we simply survive, we simply make ourselves stronger, we simply remember how strong we are, we simply empower ourselves. We live free. For three days and three nights, I was free. That's what that disaster means. They might say that that was a national disaster. That was national freedom. That was redemption. That was justification in denying my belief in the state, my denying the belief in the federal government, my denying the, my belief in humanity. Not in the fact that humanity did anything bad, not the fact that humanity made itself more shameful, but the fact that humanity is not what you want to believe in, ever. You want to believe in the highest of all powers. You want to believe in the great solar cosmic energies. You want to believe in these higher spiritual forces, the highest of all spiritual forces. Don't distract yourself with these small dominions, powers, and principalities. Focus on that which creates not only the world you live in, but the breath that you breathe. The light that you see. The senses which you possess. That which has created that. And that great I am. That's what this disaster, quote-unquote, returned me to, made me see again very clearly. I am very thankful for There are no natural disasters. Those are gifts given to you by God so that you may remember the truth. The truth of who you are. The truth of what this world is. The truth of mice and men. His truth. Because he has come so that we may know him. And we are made in God's image. But the images we make are not of God's images. They are graven images. They are false idols. This government, this country, this technology that we've made is a false idol. And just like how in days of Ezekiel, just like in the days of Noah, just like in the days of Paul, we create our graven images of the state, 
and of our authorities in stone and wood. And then we listen to them as if they're going to teach us. We ask our creation what us, the creator, should do. Because we can't handle the fact that we are as creations have a creator who has already told us what to do and how to do it. There are no mysteries in this universe. There are only realities. We don't debate. We observe. We, we memorize. We know. This is going to be hour one of this news, the North, East, West, South news. The full uh, broadcast is going to be available exclusively on podcast. This is only a preview, the hour-long preview for YouTube and for library. Thank you all very much. This has been Rumors of Instinct. God bless you and your families. Good night. Or good day. Probably edit that part out. Exactly. I'm never good at the conclusion, so I've been kind of rusty since I started, but I need to figure it out in outro. Thank you all very much out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. This is Rumors of Instinct signing off.
Okay, now we're back after that musical uh, break. I had that little outro for the my YouTube simulcast of this event. Now, for those of you who don't know my YouTube channel, uh, Rumors of Instinct Podcast uh, YouTube, is a portfolio or an archive of videos I have made um, over the years. I started in 2018. I started doing my YouTube videos in 2018. I had a very different approach back then but a very different idea of what the channel was going to be and who, who I was going to be as a creator. And then um, over time, it's evolved and changed. I'm very proud of the work I've done, and I, I highly recommend everyone listening right now, if you haven't already, to go check out the pod, the podcast YouTube channel. I know that sounds weird, right? YouTube for the podcast channel. Um, my YouTube channel, basically. Rumors of Instinct Podcast. Very simple. Just go look it up. Rumors of Instinct Podcast. Uh, leave a comment on the videos as you watch them. Let me know uh, if you've subscribed, new subscribers and everything. Love to hear from you. I moderate all the comments. It's the easiest way for me to kind of build an interactive community and everything. So I highly recommend you guys go check that out. In fact, a lot of these podcast episodes, if you are, you know, hip to it, if you kind of look through the records, are actually archived audios of, orig- of videos I did originally for YouTube. And, um, you know, I started my Secret Space program videos, my movie, uh, script videos, as well as my, um, you know, um, I guess you would call it like, uh, uh, video essays on, uh, YouTube. So I'm always going to have a very, you know, warm, warm, uh, you know, spot in my heart for them. I'm always going to have a lot of love for them, but they have shadow banned me. They have... Uh, made it to the point that I'm not really getting the correct or accurate number of views I should be getting from my channel or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not going to complain about it because it empowers them when I do. But at the same time, yeah, the struggle is real. So I can definitely help out. If you guys can definitely help out, that will help me out, you know, immensely just motivating me and to keep me know that uh, YouTube is a viable uh, platform, is a viable delivery platform. And I also publish videos on Library and Odyssey, if you guys are hip with third-party, you know, platforms, and I'm looking into more, I'm looking into expanding, but on those, it's Rumors of War 1987, so um, highly encourage going to check those out if you're over the YouTube uh, monopoly on um, videos, etc., etc., and definitely encourage... uh, stopping by Library or Odyssey for alternative videos and for uh, people who have either been banned already on YouTube, shadow banned like myself, um, or, you know, who just choose to kind of go with the the underdog, you know, go with the kind of uh, black sheep of the whole video 
uh, presents her world. So, Library and Odyssey, Rumors of War, 1987, or you can search Ru Library and Odyssey, Rumors of Instinct, and pull up the videos that way. But basically, I highly, highly recommend you guys uh, checking out the videos that I create, because with the imagery and stuff like that, um, you know, it's an entertaining ride, and it helps educate people on the points that I make, which are sometimes very obtuse, sometimes very obscure, sometimes very esoteric. But with the imagery, with the memes, you know, you kind of get a, a good, well-rounded visual and auditory experience. That being said, um, like I said, I try to make my current views, my current videos, my current video essays, my current um, efforts, uh, podcast directed. You know, I guess they're not even considered video essays anymore. They're more these podcast audio uh, presentations, uh, solo radio uh, hours and things like that, two hours, which I'm fine with, but I do kind of like the visual element of video production. Like I said, I'm going to be trying to spend more my efforts in documentary style, so I'll be kind of refurbishing and, and re-designing uh, my Patreon brackets and tiers to better reflect my future projects and... Um, so be looking forward to that on Patreon and PayPal. Uh, me if you, or I mean, if you would like to donate or support, you know, of course you can donate through PayPal.me slash Rumors of War 1987. Currently, I may be uh, creating a Rumors of Instinct PayPal as well, um, seeing as my LLC is is growing and stuff, and I need to get my own account situated. But yeah, um, Patreon.com slash Rumors of War 1987 is my current Patreon. And if you guys would like to tip or support me with as little as a dollar, um, there are tiers and rewards there. I have not been on it as much as I should have been lately because of everything going on with the winter and everything, but I will hope that in the future, in the near future, I will be able to uh, you know, develop more of an interactive community and presence on Patreon, so, you know, providing exclusive content, you know, more interactive reward tiers, etc., so definitely check that out. Now, that's out of the way. Namaste and Shalom, welcome back to the Northeast West South News Program for Rumors of Instinct. This is the second installment of it, exclusive to podcast. Um, and that's really, you know, my point that I was making with ERCOT is that... They want to water everything down. They want to provide everything right in front of you, you know, and you're thinking that there's nothing else to go with these deep cuts, these, you know, not behind closed doors, but nothing nothing worth saying can easily be said within 5 to 10 minutes or 15 minutes with little child-friendly animations and things like that, unless you have an extreme skill in that in that area. And I, I know everyone is different and talented. So maybe exactly. There are people whose talents are in summarization and, uh, being extremely concise with their points as well as, you know, the whole making it, making it, um, easily accessible and palatable. I'm not one of those people. I don't think I'm thinking more into elaboration and labyrinthian type detail because it more accurately presents the truth. 
the more accurate it presents a, the to the way people have to think about these things in real life. People don't because th- the day is twenty four hours long. People do not live in a five to ten minute long summary of their own existence. I've seen things like the biography of uh, the Stoic philosophers in ten minutes, and you're like, those men develop their philosophies and reputations not only over the course of their lives, which were very, you know, well-lived, intense, action-filled 60, 70 years of life, but they also then developed their reputation over the trials and tests of decades and eons and millennia and things like that. And you're like, what arrogance does our culture have and... Like, what, what do we seek to profit from? The ability to summarize and to create snapshots of reality and then to think that a picture is a thousand words. You know, like that, that idea there, that the, a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, not, a, not, not necessarily, not a thousand great words, because then a thousand great words are worth a million pictures. Do you understand? Like, like... We have a very visual cortex forward reality. Now, I'm not uh, against that. I'm not ignorant of that. I was a visual artist uh, myself. I like seeing reality over having to express it. But when you do have to express it verbally, one must be willing to use as much language as necessary, not willing to use more than necessary. But understanding that the task is a laborious task at that when trying to, um, like a Sisyphusian task at that when trying to describe really important concepts of faith and humanity. There's a reason why the Bible is not five fucking minutes long. You know, I'm saying there's a reason why Rumi didn't write like little little like summaries of his poems and things like that it's because anything worth saying is worth saying it's worth taking the time it's worth being eloquent it's worth trying to express yourself and I know I'm not the most public speaker I know that it's more of an improvisation and I stumble over words I hit um, difficulties difficult little patches I blank out you know, I, my train of thought jumps tracks. Um, I try not to fall into tangents, but if you guys, uh, you know, are really interested in what I'm saying, I'm hoping you guys have the patience to, like, like if you're in for a penny I ho- and you're in for a pound, I hope that if you're going to listen for an hour and a half or two hours, that five minutes of build-up or introduction or 10 minutes of introduction or 15 minutes of introduction to a concept is not too much. Exactly. I spend more time introducing topics of my videos than most people spend on their entire videos. And yes, I know that this is a big part of why my channel suffers, my brain suffers, why it becomes inaccessible, obtuse. At the same time, I think that's a big... Uh, benefactor, benefit, in, or a good attractor um, in my whole branding is because in public radio, in, in say, for example, your NPRs, your audiobooks, you know, your, your shock jocks and things, if you're not talking, you're not selling, right? If you're not 
constantly leading the conversation, then the conversation just sits in the water. And the problem is not that NPR is failing at this, is that NPR chooses simple, simplify itself, to water itself down. Their points that they make are not very good. They're not very powerful, and they're not very poignant. Thus, they can kind of meander. But even then, during their best days, for example, if you start looking into NPR's classic recordings and stuff, um, they were much more verbose. They were much more energetic and um, excited to kind of present their information. Now they kind of seem to be uh, just kind of going through the motions. Now... When you, for example, separate, um, when you separate this different segments, if I say, for example, try to break down my last hour of, of podcast time into 10, 15 minute segments, you may not even realize what I'm talking about, really. And, but there are times, though, that you would be like, this is pure emotion versus this is pure uh, fact and analysis or this is pure opinion. The thing is, it's all of it, right? It's all of it. Exactly. If you, if you try to isolate and skip around, um, it may seem disconnected. It may seem disjointed. That's why I don't like to separate in my videos like that. I don't want to make it like a three or four part video anymore because I tried that with a couple of my other episodes. So I only like try to include sufficiently sized segments as well as I'm going to be trying to uh, redistribute them minimally, you know, like where it's just this one hour of segment stands by itself and it kind of keeps going on and on and on. Like, you know, not like, uh, oh, here's uh, five parts each 15 minutes each, you know. This isn't like, um, this isn't that kind of material really because it's not like in each 15 minute I'm making a different point or speaking about something different. This is all one major point that has 15 different angles from it or has like five different angles that each take about like 15 minutes each, right? Like that'd be kind of the thing I'm trying to, to go with. I hope you guys followed me on that little um, divergent tangent, but it's kind of explaining my new, my new focus on, you know, this is my style. This is, this is how I, this is how I operate. I do these, these, uh, hour long, hour and a half, two hour long, uh, presentations on a few subjects and they kind of bleed into each other. They're, they're what I think is important at the time. It's what I think um, is missing from the news is missing. I guess this episode is more about the news in itself is the missing is because they don't allow themselves to speak. They allow themselves to shout. They allow themselves to, uh, have everything kind of be surrounding the, the topic where the way they dress, who they are, their, their politics, their hip, their re- reputation, their history, that is supposed to define who they are. Like that's supposed to let you know, their experience in the matter, and it's not what they say, but what they've done. It's, it, that's what I'm saying. Like politics and news is not becoming what they're saying, but what they're doing, while they that kind of speak to you. And that's, you know, I think that that's more theatrics 
than anything else. I, I think modern debate has kind of been neglected. There's needs to be a lot more emphasis on long form talks, long form, um, you know, presentations, public speaking things, uh, engagements, things like that. I think that, uh, it might be more of an old school or refined taste, but you know, I, and this is just kind of my own, my own discussion with myself. I'm having about the podcast and with, uh, with the YouTube channel and things is that my major competition ex- excels at a, at being able to summarize and to provide, um, you know, this mountainous information in such a convenient package. And I don't mean that there's any specific competitor I have, but, um, the competition, you know, the, the, the big C competition, uh, is is an arms race to try to try to create these, you know, um, TikTokified or I guess you call it YouTubeified um, little formats of, of brevity and things. It's like uh, a college level textbook, you know, with with its graphs and its figures and its its articles and its essays all inside of it. Uh, it's big chapters, you know, and it's verbosity and the, the lexicon that it uses versus uh, Highlights Magazine for, you know, a child under 10. And it's got, you know, sufficient data in it. And it's actually, I'm not, a, I'm a huge fan of, life, of Lifestyles Magazine. I'm a huge fan of Zoo Books, for example. But it's exactly that. It's like a, a college level, um, you know, veterinary text on or zoological text on lions versus your zoo book book of lions that in 15 colorized, high glossy magazine pages is going to provide a similar amount of information. You know, and that's basically every like the basics for the same subject. But there is a definite maturity to the materials. The way they're presented, the way they look, the way they're for the audience that they're targeted to, they both are on the same subject. They both provide similarly useful information. There's no inaccuracies in either presentation, but one is definitely made for children. And I've never, as an artist, ever viewed myself as someone who creates work for children. Even when I was a child, even when I was a teenager, that's about as low as I'll go as a teenager. Uh, in terms of targeted audience. And even then, that's more for understanding that teenagers are more into, for example, descriptions of action and descriptions that that other people would have their minds closed to. For example, a teenager will read A Clockwork Orange and actually enjoy the book for the, like, the libidinal release of it, like the adrenaline of it, like as an, as an action story. Whereas an older... A more mature reader might read it as a philosophical book or as a book of expose. Uh, Whereas, you know, your teenagers might view it as a really avant-garde art piece. You know, like everyone can see it from different ways, but a child would simply be either out of his element completely or seeing it as cartoonish violence. You know, like it wouldn't necessarily understand... The, the philosophical contours of a clockwork orange appropriately, let alone be able to say, for example, digest the, the hardcore rapes and murders, you know, presented therein. 
um, and that's exactly what I was going to say. Like Stanley Kubrick uh, included the rapes and murders and nudity because it was a mature, X-rated, adult film. Like it was a film that, at the very least, will be viewed by teenagers, but it was definitely not meant for children. Um, that kind of maturity in creation, even though that may be fantastic, even though it might be colorful, even though it might be, you know, action oriented and things like that. What I'm trying to express is really only meant for adults. Right. And I think that a lot of people in the podcast world, a lot of people in life in general are trying to be accepted because of the industry by the audiences of lowest common denominators Specifically, the audiences uh, geared towards, you know, uh, youth, immaturity, um, childhood, and it's made different regards. I kind of want to make this claim now that, and I've, I think I've already made the claim before, but I kind of want to reiterate it, that this is a adult-oriented um, artistic endeavor. This is something that people are asked to really actively think about and think with and engage. And thus, you know, I'm not going to create ever these 5 to 10, 15-minute little exposés. I'm not going to try to disney it. I'm not going to try to, you know, make it a Nickelodeon piece. These are... That's a big example, too, is that Johann Vasquez, for example, made Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, which was made for teenagers and young adults and was extremely gory but for some reason decided to make Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, uh, John, the Homicidal Maniac aesthetic into a children's program called Invader Zim. And even though Invader Zim is extremely good and influential, it's very weird that someone who was an artist and a, and a creator, an independent creator, geared towards more adult uh, media, you know, more adult creations and statements, would become a children's creator you know would, would would actually become that and then you say well it's because of the industry and you're right he was a comic book creator comic books are generally in the same like tangential relationship with children and thus it would it's logical but at the same time it's kind of like that's not what I'm going to do I'm not going to ever have a children's something right and now that I said I kind of like why don't I have one like, you know, like children's books for, for people who are woke or people who are, like, enlightened and, um, you know, for um, the alternative of paranormal. But, no, that's, there are already people doing that. That's what I'm saying. That this is something that – these are stressors that I'm having within my own, my own internal dialogue. But it's something I'm trying to reinforce right now with the statement that, no, this is for adults. And I thank you all out there in dreamland for listening. Uh, past this first hour and now getting into the hour and a half about this statement. Now, I guess to finish it up, uh, that was my main point uh, for that. But to finish it up, uh, basically, let's talk about, before I go into the media side of things, one last point, because it was a great uh, national uh, Texas state disaster with the Arctic. We talked about that. Going to talk about the idea of technological news of uh, 
the memory hole, as people can call it. Every couple of years, and a couple of times every year lately, and in the past 20 years lately, that there seems to be a technological news story, a breakthrough or something that appears and is centered around promoting, you know, um, the, the myth of progress. But it's become to the point now that it's undeniable because of the archival of the internet that true technological progress is as quickly forgotten about as anything else. For example, reading the articles on discoveries in time travel from 2013, experimental little bits of time travel that will are on National Geographic, for example, or look at National Geographic at any point in its 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 website or its archives or its its actual publication. Look at Popular Mechanics every year promotes some great radical scientific discovery and it is as quickly both celebrated and forgotten by the very society that helped create it everything from biological robotic um, hybrid machines to genetically engineered creatures that can help clear oil spills and natural disasters to um, ideas of um, propulsion, engineering devices. It doesn't matter what's made public, what's disclosed in the various different outlets and publications that do these type things, that talk about technology, that promote this kind of uh, um, invention, innovation. It's not ignored. It's not covered up. This is the soft cover-up. It's not covered up. It's not ignored. It, it's it's heard, but just forgotten about. And it, it's not like it's forgotten about. It's just that so few people have a connection to it that the idea of society changing technological innovation is obsolete. It has been disproven. Because we've already reached the point of the singularity. That's my ultimate point of this, is that this is evidence for the singularity. People don't know what the singularity is. Terrence McKenna talked about it. Well, that, that innovation occurs in a type of descending wave, where your points of change within mankind's mental idea of what is possible or its connection with the you know, technical engineering side of reality, whatever, uh, inorganic side of reality, our computers are... Uh, fancy adding machines or infrastructure or materials we reach a point where there was nothing new left to be done because everything would be a derivative of something else or everything would be made possible due to the invention of one thing like say for example a teleporter would uh, end the necessity for any other innovation in travel because you would just be able to teleport literally at any point in time same thing with like a food uh, materializer, like or a processor, like Star Trek, where you know, uh, you go to the machine, you press a button, and it just appears. Would end 
all development of cooking skills because no longer would anyone need to know how to prepare food. Traditionally, you just press the button. You know, it would end the, it would make obsolete that other aspect of life. And the aspect of life that this would make obsolete was the idea of newness, was the idea of innovation, was the idea of invention. Now, the ideas of invention are not obsolete in the human heart. In the human heart, we, I, I look at headlines almost every day hoping to see something scientific or technological or engineering that I hope is going to kind of like show people the, the levels that we've reached, the, the kind of possibilities that we're at. But never has it been so apparent to me that people are not willing, and people have a, this huge promotion in their heart where they're like, I want to be tech savvy. I want to be in the 21st century. I want to be, you know, progress incarnate, and I want the latest gadgets and things. They're more, they're more susceptible to this than anyone else. The fact that, say, for example, Iranian scientists were declaring they could read the future up to 8 to 10 years within someone's life based on high advanced algorithms. The fact that the stock market is completely controlled by AI, uh, which which commit thou, uh, uh, transactions so quickly um, and so interconnectedly as to be, you know, impossibly able, impossible to match by any kind of organic standard. The fact that... Um, you know, we have nuclear engine, or nuclear-powered submarines that can last 25 years without refueling, and that that technology is not um, distributed or made public for the benefit of mankind. And that was created in the 50s. Uh, anti-gravity, things like that, uh, zero-point energy, all of that has has been declared publicly in one aspect or another. I say this because when researching the SSP and when looking for this information, I wanted to kind of provide some valid documentation for it, right? Like, I'm not a, I'm not big into citations. I've, I went through the university system. I know exactly how you have to cite everything. I think it's kind of a waste of time and it's bullshit. Um, because if you know it's true, you know it's true. You don't ha- And, if, yeah, if it's something someone doesn't know it's true, yeah, provide the sources. But at the same time, if they don't know, then they have to keep up, right? You don't have to really... Um, you know, prove every little detail to someone unless it's an academic test, right, in real life, right? They're just not at your level at that point, right? They're just not hip at that point. And so, um, say, for example, if I was going to talk about genetically engineering rice to make it, you know, to give it, like, you know, antibacterial properties or something, and then someone denied it and demanded I provide research uh, sources for it. You could easily do it, but at the same time, that's showing them or they're they're showing you that they don't know the basics of what this development has already provided within this field. Right? This is already, you know, everyday type reality. And I realized that we are now at a point where we are easy. It's easier to forget what we have done in the last 10, 20 years than ever before. Because the material is not being promoted as enthusiastically as it should be within these elite circles, within within these elite societies. For example, where it used to be that wealth was directly associated with technological innovation 
and things like infrastructure and things like that. Now it's not. It's built on a more social credit system or a social um, acceptance system, not on a baseline of true innovation or true expertise. At least Bill Gates understands how his computer systems worked back in the 90s, right? And when he was when he was first coming into power, how Windows operating systems worked, how the software worked, how the hardware worked, things like that. You can understand this guy was at least a computer genius in that regard. And then the financial and business aspects of it, whatever. Point is now he's into vaccines and Bill Gates has no expertise in medicine. He has no expertise in the subject. He has not he has no education in the subject, no degrees, right? Um uh, now, not saying that you can't educate yourself, you couldn't promote yourself, or even just crack open a book on your own time. The fact is, though, that this is not where people are respecting him. People are respecting him for the fact that he's already wealthy and that they're saying, like Elon Musk, they're already respecting him because people were already respecting him, not because he's an expert. Elon Musk is a, probably a much better example. It's because this man is not a financial expert. He is not a technological expert. He's not an engineer. His technologies and his companies do not promote cutting-edge or avant-garde systems. They don't produce systems that work. They are simply capitalizing and making corporate this idea of science it's, or scientism or, or engineerism or technologyism, right? Okay, so his rocket crashes. That's happening down the beach, uh, about two hours down the beach, down to Brownsville, uh, the Mexico-U.S. border, um, Port Isabella, right? Um, they're doing their little South Padre Island. They're doing a little SpaceX launches and crashing into the beach, right? This is absolute proof that the world has no integrity and no credibility anymore when it comes to this system of technology and advancement. They have created a system. They created it in the 50s originally, but then they perfected it in the 80s called the Aerospike Engine. And the Aerospike Engine was actually tested and verified by Boeing to be almost 100% effective at vertical takeoff and lift, uh, takeoff launches and landings, uh from high payload rocket like space plane sized you know of vehicles and low atmosphere through directional thrusts and then uh, reshaping and repurposing of the engine into an aero spike into a type of a uh, delta v um you know uh focusing of the the rocket engine nozzle right this was filmed. This was demonstrated. This is not top secret. It's in the Space Museum, right? The, the, in Alabama. Reagan was a big fan of it. You know, conceptually, Reagan was a big fan of it. It had mainstream supporters, one of them being in the White House, the President of the United States himself, very heavily connected to the Secret Space Program, very heavily connected to things like Mustard, the, the UK uh, multi-utility uh, uh, space plane. You know, uh, basically, um, um, it has already been a thing since the 80s. It's 40 years old now as a technology. And Elon Musk is trying to, quote-unquote, perfect the ability of rockets to reenter 
while not addressing that the Aerospike engine exists at all. And I'm suspecting that in this next five years that they will unveil basically a copy of the Aerospike engine design with its versatility and functionality still intact. You know, it's a proven model. It's like saying you're trying to reinvent the car and he's using steam power and, and the, all of society is gaslighting itself and gaslighting, uh, you know, and being gaslit, like being, playing along with it and trying to pretend that nothing, no other alternative has ever existed as radical as the steam-powered car. And, you know, we can't really make it make it work right. Oh, you can't get that steam-powered, you know, car to, to kick over. And then he's going to come out with the internal combustion engine and we're going to, like, you know absolutely consider this the the highest of all technologies but this is happening in 2021 you know like forget that lamborghini's all gone electric forget that you know all these other zero point like water powered carburetors exist if you want to get super avant-garde and that wasn't popular mechanics where a man drove from i think el paso to waco in uh, one one gallon of gas, and this is water-powered, um, you know, uh, hydraulic carburetor. And that hydraulic carburetors like that are built by amateurs in their garages all around the world from the same popular mechanics article. Like, they provided the blueprints. It's a completely reproducible thing. Or, you know, we're not even going to get into the, the whole rabbit hole of lost technologies that would have changed the world like... Um, um, like aerogels and things like that. Like, you know, no, we're not getting into that. Point is, the singularity, I believe, has already occurred in 2012. That occurred. That was the quote-unquote end of the world. All society is, at this point, is a constant gaslighting exercise to present to people technologies which already were invented and in place by 2012 and the many, many different aspects of their existence. Um, basically, if you were, if you were to believe that at this point, nothing is impossible, nor is nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. Now, it's absolutely undeniable nothing is new under the sun. How this relates to the higher level concepts that I kind of really like getting into is that because nothing new is under the sun, nothing new has ever been under the sun. These are the rediscoveries. These are the reimaginations of ancient technologies. See, back in the last hundred years, in the 20th century, ancient technologies weren't covered up. Like, they, we didn't know they existed, so these really were new to us. Like, we had absolutely forgotten about them. Now... As Antarctica thaws, as our archaeology kind of like, you know, picks up its game, as Tartaria becomes absolutely undeniable, we as a public are seeing that these technologies are merely the re-engineering, re-discoveries, the re-possessions of lost technology that we had, or lost abilities that we had as engineering societies, as metallurgic societies, as scientific societies as mathematical societies. And that, not only that, but what we've accomplished so far, up to the idea like 2012, was merely 
the first step into the journey that would be the rediscovery of everything else. Now, what I mean by that is it's not that they don't want you to know these things are real. Like I said, National Geographic published that article in 2013 about the ability to basically predict the future a decade out using mathematical algorithms. They don't want to tell you that that was created by a 27-year-old. I mean, they, they do. They, it's, not, it's not top secret. They told you that in the article is that was created by a 27-year-old. What they don't want you to think about was that was created all mentally, that there was no real technology that aided his function in that, and that that intellect, that skill, is the same intellect and skill operated by many people around the world and has always been. Nothing would, is, would keep the ancients from developing that same algorithm, that same math, and then being able to predict the future, then be able to see the past, then be able to to access and harness all of the, the mysteries and secrets of, you know, this world, as long as they cooperated and they worked successfully, you know, together. That they had space travel in the days of Noah, that they could genetically engineer people in ancient Egypt. They had these abilities, they had the ability to, say, for example, create combustion engines in ancient Greece. These are realities. You know, these, these really are realities. The reason why mankind doesn't want to empower itself is because we don't want to take the responsibility of having to admit that there is nothing new under the sun. That there's nothing new about us. That there's nothing special about us. It's the same way that we don't want to admit that there's nothing special about Elon Musk. That there's nothing special about these billionaires. There's nothing special about these innovators or these technological gurus. It's because we don't want to admit that we could have done these things too. That we can still do these things. Because to admit that means that the responsibility belongs to us. And that if we don't engage to the fullest extent of our abilities, the fullest extent of our uh, power, that we are choosing not to, that it's our choice, that it's a free choice to fail. The same way that we don't, we like to see athletes perform um, so that we don't, it's not because we want entertainment, because we want to think that athleticism, athleticism is a rare thing. That the average human being couldn't be in perfect physical health. That the average human being couldn't learn sports or, or the ability to, like, you know, field and track and stuff like that. We want to think that these people are special because we don't want the responsibility to see that they're just like everyone else. And that we, being everyone else, are just like all these special people. That the average person is, in fact, as intelligent currently as Elon Musk is. And that Elon Musk is as, in fact, intelligent as only the average person is, or ever will be. 
So we deny our own species' accomplishments. We deny our own species' abilities. We deny our own limitless potential. So that we can keep ourselves limited. So that we can keep ourselves dumbed down. Because it's easier than to accept the fact that we owe it to ourselves. And we owe it to our children. We owe it to our families. We owe it to our parents and our ancestors to better our lives. To be as strong as possible. To be as smart as possible. Now, this system, you might think, well, no one would want that. People would always want the best. No, the government doesn't have to work at covering up things. People will cover it up for themselves. If they went outside and saw UFOs flying around the sky, or they saw a Bigfoot in their backyard, they wouldn't want to tell anyone. On the large whole part, on the great majority, 90% of them, if they could get away with not telling anyone, would get away with not telling anyone ever because they don't want to have to have that responsibility to themselves. The same way that if everyone knew that they could have invented Microsoft, No one wants to admit that to themselves. People would try desperately to argue with you that they couldn't have. Just because, like, every every time you watch, like, a really old show that's now obsolete because technology, everyone laughs about how it was back then because no one has the courage to admit that it didn't have to be that way. People are so far from the driver's seat in their own lives and every little aspect of it that they want to find people who are willing who are as far from the driver's seat themselves but willing to say they're in the driver's seat regardless if they're actually sitting in your lap or you're sitting in their lap it's this fantasy game it's like exactly it's how children think cars are driven you know like it's not a reality it's it's kind of just a Mimicry of responsibility that we have now society that men are possessing of. And it's because of that that our society will fail. Because we will become so... We will become so far removed from the development and manufacture and engineering of technology. The same technology that made us so prosperous. That made our country so strong and mighty to begin with. We have become so far removed from this very lifeblood, this very aqua vitae that America truly once was, the technological leader of the world, the engineering leader of the world, the manufacturing leader of the world, you know, the leader of men when it came to people understanding and being able to master the modernity that they were then creating, you know, like in the 40s, 50s, 30s, 20s, 10s, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right back and throughout history, that Americans were always the people who could come, grasp new technologies, master them, and then make them ourselves. Right, uh, the idea of like tearing open a radio and then and putting one back together. Um, now we're so afraid of voiding warranties. We're so afraid of damaging the products that we have and the brands that we have that we don't want to develop skills with our hands. We just want to acquire brands. We don't want to work with our hands. Now this goes back to the first point 
is that as mankind is willing to go down this road and as men are willing to profit from it handsomely, regardless of their actually showing any skill or expertise in leading or managing or creating, that as soon as we rely on people like Elon Musk to do serious and important things, they will only create systems which are designed to fail. Same way that if you trust people like Elon Musk to run a power grid, they'll simply turn it off. If you trust people like Elon Musk to build a rocket, it will blow up every time. It will crash every time. And I know, yes, you're going to point to the, the, the ridiculously fake presentations and theatrics that they did the other the last year and all the other bullshit things they do. Understand... That in reality, they are using nothing more than 1940s technology. They're not even using 1950s technology. They're not even using 1980s technology. They hope that we reenact spiritually and intellectually every year, chronologically in a century. So that these years, they want us to be in 1921 mental mode. Where in 1910, people were super excited to see airplanes for the first fucking time. That they couldn't imagine that jet engines were invented in 1908. Because they were just happy to see the biplanes buzzing around their hometown and people walking on the wing. They weren't interested in, you know, the the actual realities that the world had had Zeppelins and mysterious airship sighted electrical powered uh, engines, Tesla. They just wanted to see a woman dressed like a ballerina walk across an airplane wing as it flew through a barn. Those were the priorities of people in 1921, the average day man, and not, for example, to see the future ahead. That these planes would drop atomic weapons, atomic bombs across the ocean. That these planes would bring fire bombs and napalm across the ocean. That these planes would be flying into space. That these planes would be the lifeblood of the future. They simply wanted the spectacle. They simply wanted the entertainment that these planes would provide because these planes were so new to them. And the legend had already been created that these planes were gifts from human geniuses, from American geniuses. And that simple, normal people did not have the power to operate these things freely. You see how that starts removing from the fact that the Wright brothers just built a plane simply through trial and error in a, in a homemade barn. In a barn they, they convert into a hangar. The everyday man can acquire a pilot's license, can, can understand aerodynamics, can become a wing maker, can learn to fly. But the overwhelming majority of men, 99.99% of men, will never fly. They will never, they will never get a pilot's license. They'll never learn aerodynamics. Even though the ancient world had planes, the everyday man can make a hang glider. 
The everyday man can make an auto gyro. The everyday man can make a flying car. And that's exactly the kind of point that I wanted to make and to end this kind of point out. Is that everyone asks, where is the flying car? We've had flying cars <laughs> since the fucking 1930s. I'm just going to leave it at that. And everyone asks, when are we going to have flying cars? We've had flying cars since a Spanish guy invented them in the 1930s. And that's exactly my kind of point that I wanted to make, is that um, the Texas disasters, the man-made culture of disaster, the disaster of weakness, the disaster of frailty, the disaster of the sky is falling, the, the culture of the sky is falling, uh, these chicken littles, um, they have never changed. The overwhelming amount of the people in the world are chicken little. You know, they, they just think the sky is falling and, and they just got to run for cover, right? But always has there been a battle between real empowerment of the people and it's different many avatars from philosophical to technological to, to whatever, spiritual, Right? The power to the people, the empowerment of the self, the empowerment of the individual, you know, the ability to individually get education, the, the ability to, for the individual to create for themselves their world and their righteousness around themselves, you know, step in their own power to inherit the kingdom of God, which was in themselves, versus the overwhelming tie to people who surrender their authority, their, their own sovereignty to false idols. That have never taken a step. You know, the idols of stone that have never spoken a word. The idols of wood that have never taken a step on a journey. And they pray that they are safe on their, on their roads. They, they pray that the, these idols speak to them and teach them. Even though not a single, you know, breath of life have they ever drawn. Never, never a single thought they've ever think, uh, thought. You know? Because these men like Elon Musk... These men, these great elites, are creations of men. They're false idols created by men. They are modern false idols. We no longer worship Baal. We worship Elon Musk. We worship Jeff Bezos. We worship Bill Gates. We worship these little petty uh, politicians and viceroys. We worship the system that, that man has helped create. Or inherit. We worship the state. We don't worship the culture. We don't worship the community. We don't worship the individual. The common individual. Sorry. We don't worship the, the common man. We don't worship ourselves. We don't worship the man in the mirror. We worship the man on the television screen. You know, it's like when that queen of Snow White was asking mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all. It's like the idea was that that mirror was enslaved to the truth and that she would use it to see the truth. But the truth was obvious. It was just that this person had become so divorced from reality that they could not see it for themselves. 
without that soothsayer, without that truthsayer, without that divin divination. Same thing with King Nebuchadnezzar in the dream. He needed a prophet to tell him what he had already seen, what he had already known in his heart to be true. And just like the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, our society will be laid low, will be absolutely broken off at the ankles. Because it's trying to merge the iron and the clay, the ancient world with the new world. Trying to make the creator and the creation. It's trying to mill two very different and opposing elements into one concrete reality. It's not technology in the flesh. It's not the virtual and the, real, and the, and the, the analog. It's the modern and the ancient. It's the false and the idle. The way it's always been. The ruination of all men. The hubris of all men. Is to constantly return to these idols of our own creation. And to gild them. To make them of gold. To make them of our precious jewels. To make them of our own wealth. Our own society's wealth. Again and again and again. Constantly losing in each one of these events to the sheer sublime reality of divine natural intelligence. A reality that saves those who do not adhere to idols, who empowers those who do not adhere to idols, who uh, gives confidence and might in their hands, who trains them for war against those who follow the idols, who delivers them upon them the nations which they have not known in their idolatry, who delivers upon them the heathen, and instead of seeing the accurate example for what it is and learning their lesson, they will completely sacrifice themselves in the name of their false idols, in, their, in the name of their false society. Um, I'm thinking currently right now, of, say, for example, Samson. Samson killing a thousand Philistines, you know, with the jawbone of the donkey. And it's like after a hundred Philistines got killed by the by Samson, you'd think the other 900 would run away. But after 500 Philistines got killed, you think the 500 would run away. After 900 Philistines got killed, you think the last 100 would run away. No, the, until a thousand Philistines ran straight into Samson thinking that they were going to be the fool. They were going to be the one chosen out of these false idol-worshipping weaklings to be able to succeed against the indomitable, invincible strength of the true God, the God of nature, the God of the world. After 999 Philistines had been slaughtered, the thousandth Philistine, you know, fool, like it's not bravery at that point, it's foolishness. And, they, and that's why they, they, they were destroyed. It's because they were not, they were not convert to reality. They were so committed to their mistake and to being delivered to just to be delivered to destruction and God obliges them God gave them exactly that same thing with Samson in that same story of judges that Samson was so it was not swayed or 
convinced by his all by his sagas, then he still, you know, made the mistakes necessary to guarantee his own destruction, which was itself a proof of the glory of God, which it ultimately was the, the, the original point that God was always making, was the proof of his own glory. And that's how I'm going to end it, is, is by just giving glory to God. I thank you guys for listening to me. Thank you all very much out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. This has been Rumors of Instinct. This has been the Rumors of Instinct podcast. Definitely check out my YouTube channel, Rumors of Instinct podcast. Check me out everywhere you can. Just Google it. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Google Podcasts. Uh, all, the, all the places the podcasts are found. Anchor. Love you guys. Uh, God bless you. Take care. God bless your families. Thank you.